a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 80. I'm Ryan in Seattle. Big round number. I'm Chrissy in Seattle. Yes, the big 8-0. I think when we got to show 8, we're like, oh my God, can we keep this up? (laughs) Here we are 10 times shows later. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening when we hit 100. I guess we'll have a, throw another party or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, this week's show, we have news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on Carolyn Quentin, which we promised you two weeks ago. Yeah. How are you doing, Chrissy? No, not bad. What have you been up to? Sailing along. Um, weather's improving in Seattle, so that's always a good little race to the spirits. I saw an article, though, that we have the had the fewest days over 55 yes, degrees ever. Yes, true. And the moss is on the march, which I can totally attest to in my backyard. Well, I don't know. I'm just kind of like goldfish and live in the moment, I guess. And right now it's beautiful and sunny, and so been enjoying that. And 15 seconds later, it's all new to you again? Yeah. Is that so. what they say about goldfish? Yep. I don't think it's exactly true, but it's a good it's a good factoid. So, what are you up to? Are you watching anything? Um, no, not really. I uh, I've been doing other things this week. Not a lot of watching. No, I really didn't. I have not been in a TV mood. I've been I read a lot. Been writing little poetry and some other things. So. I can't say that you've missed a lot. This has been yeah. really kind of a lackluster week. Sort of just the same shows, sort of turning over. But this week, it's heating up. I mean, we certainly know it's premiering on Saturday, but there's actually a lot of good things. So I think next week, we'll definitely have another review show. Oh, well, that'll be good. I'll watch. I'll probably be back in the swing of things. I just wasn't in the mood. No. I read a few books. Well, I was tweeting about the fact that I was like, I'm so bored. Worked my second job a bit, you know, so there you go. I want to apologize for bad miking on last week's podcast. It sounded like I was recorded inside a toilet. Actually, I was sitting where I normally was, but I had to use a B microphone with the three of us here, and it had too much pickup. And if you listen carefully, you can hear the exact moment the furnace was turned on. I'd like to say here at the British TV podcast that we spare no expense, but the fact is this is a zero-based budget production, so we spare every expense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's no excuse for second-rate audio, so I apologize. I have to go and buy a microphone next time or something. This week on Twitter, I watched Peter Jackson's 10-minute Hobbit preview. Did you see that on YouTube? No. Oh, it was great. It was him walking through the sets, and uh, and then you saw the uh, welcoming ceremony that they had with the Maori, and Richard Armitage was there, and James Nesbitt, and Martin Freeman, and it was just exciting to see all mm. our favorite British actors getting ready to be in The Hobbit. I read an interesting opinion today. Somebody thought that, although they were, it was on my, I have a Martin Freeman interview from a few years ago when he was promoting the um, Hitchhiker's Guide. Mm -hmm. And somebody said, well, you know, I love Martin Freeman. So glad he's Bilbo. But I think David Mitchell should have been Arthur Dent in the second go around. What do you think? Would David Mitchell have had the acting chops to be a good Arthur Dent? The thing is, Arthur isn't just a moaner. Mm -hmm. You know, he has to have that kind of sparkle, the kind of sparkle in the eye, which Martin has that. Yes. Because, you know, as Tim in the office... You know, being able to kind of give you that little sardonic looks, like, you know, he knows what's kind of going on here and being, have a kind of charming thing. And I hate to say about David Mitchell, but I think he is somewhat charisma challenged. He's good at playing a cynical kind of guy, mm-hmm. but I don't know if he could really carry a movie like that. Yeah. I think he'd be the first to admit that he is first a comedian and then an actor. I know he did a film called Magicians that got terrible reviews, but I haven't seen it, but... Now, I like Robert Webb. I, I love The Smoking Room. I thought that was hilarious. Very black BBC three comedy. But yeah, I I, I think Martin Freeman has got more star power than, than David Mitchell does in that kind of thing. Now, when it comes to doing satirical comedy, mm-hmm. I take David Mitchell every okay. time. I also tweeted, uh, I'm liking An- Ashley Jensen a lot more in The Reckoning than the terrible accidental farmer debacle that was at Christmas. Oh, I hated that. Oh, Yeah, The Reckoning is kind of a Oh, goofy thriller. It has a lot of what-if stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, her daughter is uh, got cancer and needs an expensive treatment in the United States. And then a mysterious organization offers her five million pounds if she will kill someone who supposedly deserves it. And she talks over with her boyfriend, who's played by Max Beasley, who we just mm-hmm. saw in Mad Dogs. He's a disfigured former policeman. 
And at the end of part one, she discovers that there's this whole chain of things that the people who do these murders then get killed by the next person. So she's next. Oh. But it does require a lot of suspension of disbelief. But it's one of those interesting things that I'm sure is supposed to make the audience think, you know, would I do that? Would I kill somebody who deserved it for five million pounds? Not that that ever really happened. I mentioned this to my wife. She goes, that's illegal. Yes, of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't really happen. And I said, I'm going to stick with Channel 4's campus for the time being. Maybe the emperor has no clothes, but I want to see just how far it will go. It's gotten kind of bad ratings and bad reviews, but I'm just, I've, I've seen worse comedies this year. So I'm finding it just amusing enough that I, I keep my interest going. So far, anyway. Anyway, you can follow us on Twitter at Brit TV Podcast. So in the news this week... This first story is a real bummer, and it's the second time in two months that a legend has passed away just hours before recording the podcast. We found out on Tuesday that Elizabeth Sladen had died of cancer at 63. Like a lot of people, she was my first companion on Doctor Who when I began watching the Tom Baker stories in 1983. Her Sarah Jane Smith became the benchmark that all other companions would be compared to, so much so that she made a reappearance back in the show in 2006, as well as in two spinoff shows, K-9 and Company in 1981, and the Sarah Jane Adventures, which is still running. And in fact, three episodes of the fourth season have been shot and will be screened later this year. And it'll be bittersweet to have to watch it, knowing that this will be the last time we see Elizabeth Layden in action. Well, except for reruns, of course. And she also has an autobiography called Who's That Girl? coming out later this year. Hmm. What's your... I know you're not really a fan of classic Doctor Who, but you've seen Sarah Jane Adventures quite a bit. Yeah, I thought she was a very good actress, very, very natural, kind of. And, you know, that the Sarah Jane Adventures was pitched towards kids, but it, it, it had a little bit more subtlety in the acting than I think a lot of shows of that type did. Yeah, after a stint touring the country in repertory, she settled in Manchester, and during which she had her breakthrough television role in 1970, appearing as Anita Reynolds in Coronation Street. And more small roles were to follow on popular shows like Doomwatch, Zed Cars, and Some Mothers Do Avum. And then, of course, she got cast in Doctor Who. I saw her at one of the mega conventions in Chicago in 1984, but I didn't get any closer than you would at a concert, because there was 20,000 people there and, you know, 60 guests. But in 1993, she made a reappearance at a UK convention I attended called Blue Box. She'd only made a couple of appearances on TV in the 1980s, because she was raising her family, but she was coaxed into attending because her daughter Sadie, then aged eight, had discovered Doctor Who thanks to home videos and was keen to attend. And I'll never forget at the closing ceremony when Elizabeth stood up and said, I want to thank you all for the amount of pleasure you've given my daughter this weekend. And I posted a photo on Twitter that I took on the steps outside that day. It's always sad when someone dies, and sometimes it's not that unexpected, but like a lot of people, I figured Elizabeth Sladen would just last forever. Her passing is a huge shock, it's just so sudden, and she had a huge impact in the lives of people. Stephen Fry even tweeted, What terribly sad news about Elizabeth Sladen. Her Sarah Jane was part of my childhood. Deepest sympathy to her family. And I've got a friend who's the same age as Elizabeth, and last week he called me to say that he was going in for surgery to treat colorectal cancer that he just found on him. He was pretty positive about the whole thing, and luckily he got through surgery okay over the weekend. He's back home and recovering, but it's just, you know, cancer just seems to be striking everywhere. You know, it's interesting. I see Doctor Who more and more in American media. People just talking about it in magazines and Elizabeth Sladen being from Doctor Who was one of the top stories on Yahoo. That's how I found out about it. But I I think it's the character of the Doctor that has more of an impact here than who's playing it. Because I noticed um, that yesterday, David Tennant, I just, for some reason, I happened to be looking at something and I, oh, it's his birthday. He's 40 today. But all the birthdays that they had on all the American websites, not one of them had David Tennant on there. Although they had people that I would think would be much more obscure than him. Oh, it's their birthday today. I, I just sort of was thinking, I guess it's um, the character and the show Doctor Who that's an impact versus people really interested in who's playing it, like in the UK, where David Tennant. And what he's doing day to day seems to be celebrity fodder. And 
it could be that American media just sort of condenses all 11 actors into yeah. one thing, and there's mm-hmm. this thing called Doctor Who, and lots of people have played him. Right. Because, you know, well, in, in, for instance, in Entertainment Weekly now, they talk about it from time to time. In sort of their must lists, you'll see, oh, the... Oh, yeah, there's promotion for yeah. it in this week's uh, issue, and I think part of that is BBC America. I mean, this is their big premiere thing. Well, they've got two things going on this month. They've got that at the Royal Wedding. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're not the only people showing their Royal Wedding. They just happen to be able to get the BBC feed. But they're doing a lot of programs leading up to that. But Doctor Who is their big bread-and-butter right. thing, and they have really promoted the heck out of it, and no doubt they're sending press releases out to Entertainment Weekly, getting them preview copies. And the fact, of course, that the show is actually really good that when these mainstream magazines actually watch it, and they they say, oh, this is a good show. You should watch this program. Yeah, and when in all the coming attractions I've seen for Fright Night, they haven't mentioned him by name as being in it, either of the things I've read so far. I, I know, that does seem very strange. Yep. I, I, and then for them not to note that it was a birthday for him when he's just the household name over in England and represents such a place in people's hearts over there was interesting to me, that even though the show's catching on here, yeah, he just, I don't think he's, because he's had a real starring part no in something that really yeah. broke through over here. You know, I mean, he's, he was like a minor character in a Harry Potter movie. Right. that's what they mention sometimes, and I'm sure people say, no, who, what did he play in that again? What? Yeah, <laughs> but that'll change. Hmm. I mean, he's, right. I mean, David Tennant's going to be around forever, and his stock will rise. I'm sure Patrick Stewart went through the same thing when he first started doing Star Trek here. It was like, you know, no one knows who I am. The funniest thing is that we knew who he was because we remembered him from I, Claudius. And oh. remembered his big scenes with La Villa and all. So that was kind of funny. But, oh, we, I know it's him. It's the guy who says, everything is going as we planned. That became a catchphrase in my family. Oh, no, no. My I, favorite Patrick Stewart... <laughs> catchphrase is uh, from Dune look at the size of that monster oh, I well, say that constantly to my wife ours was don't spoil it everything is going as we planned <laughs> we would say that to one another all the time so even prior to Star Trek The Next Generation we had Patrick Stewart catchphrase in my family there you go also uh, Trevor Bannister passed away last week he was most famous for playing Mr. Lucas in Are You Being Served and he also appeared in The Avengers, Dixon of Doc Green, Zed Cars, and more recently, Last of the Summer Wine. And he was 76 years old. Yeah, they're still showing Are You Being Served on one of our local PBS stations on Saturday nights. Hmm. It will last forever. <laughs> it's the cockroach of TV shows. You can't kill it. I've never seen an episode. I know the theme tune, but that's about it. It's low farce, but it is well done. Mm-hmm. I can see why people like it. 2012 has been renewed. The BBC4 mockumentary will be back for a second series. It was announced last week. Hugh Bonneville, Jessica Hines, and narrator David Tennant go behind the scenes of the inept Olympic Deliverance Committee. And there were some great guest stars, including Darren Boyd and Tim McEnery. Uh, but you just have to love Olivia Coleman as the devoted PA. She was so sweet. She's like the world's best PA. There's still Life in Benidorm. The ITV comedy about yeah. British holidaymakers in Spain was recommissioned for a fifth season, and der- writer Darren Litton reversed himself and said he would be doing some of the scripts. Well, he was very, very sad that they lost uh, Jeffrey because he had this whole arc, I think, of s- softening up Madge just because of their, because they obviously actually loved each other a lot, and he was going to have all this he wanted to do, and he, of course that got taken away from him, so... He had to have a think about the rest of the characters, I guess. Maybe they grew on him as the series aired. Supposedly the rumor is that Joan Collins has shown interest in doing the show, and he's like, I must write this. <laughs> have you watched the latest season? No. Okay. But I know you're still a fan of it. Yeah. Yeah, someone asked me on Twitter, and I said, you know, I'm sorry, I bailed. <laughs> I just I wasn't interested in Benidorm anymore, but it's still getting good ratings, and it'll be back. And I saw a recent interview with Leslie Sharp. And Doctor Who fans might remember her as Skye in the episode Midnight. And we profiled her way back in show two. And her new drama, The Shadow Line, starts next month where she plays Christopher Eccleston's wife. And not only has she appeared in Doctor Who, but she's a fan of the show. And she said Matt Smith has a, quote, unusual, voguey, sexy thing going on. And the article ends with, Intriguingly, Sharp was tipped by Russell T. Davis in 2008 to one day be cast as the first female Doctor. She said, quote, it was immensely flattering to hear, but I think the chances of them getting an old bird to play the doctor are very slim. She laughs. 
Anyway, I think Matt Smith's doing a wonderful job, don't you? So <laughs> that yep. was very interesting. Of course, we know that uh, RTD is a huge fan of Leslie Sharp. Oh, yeah, because she'd been in The Second Coming. Yes. And Bob and Rose. Bob Rose. <laughs> yes. And Doctor Who, yep. Well, what's on TV for the week of April 20th to the 26th? Wednesday, Life of Riley is on BBC One with Carolyn Quentin, and we have a feature about her coming up in a few minutes. Midsummer Murders is on ITV One. The Crimson Petal and the White continues on BBC Two. Thursday, Dave's One Night Stand on Dave features Mark Watson. A History of Celtic Britain continues on BBC Two. Martina Cole's The Runaway continues on Sky One. 10 O'Clock Live is on Channel 4. Celebrity Juice is on ITV2. Russell Howard's Good News continues on BBC3. On Good Friday, Baboons with Bill Bailey continues on ITV1. Have I Got News for You on BBC1 has guest host Rod Gilbert and panelist Marcus Brigstock. Paul O'Grady Live continues on ITV1, and it got really good ratings. He got about a million and a half more people watching than Graham Norton, although Graham Norton is on much later in the evening. Frank Skinner's Opinionated is on BBC2. And speaking of the Graham Norton Show, it's on BBC One with guests Jennifer Hudson and Bill Bailey. On Saturday, Doctor Who is back, finally. With one of its earliest premiere times ever at 6 p.m., the Doctor, Amy, Rory, and River end up in America in the first of a two-part story, The Impossible Astronaut. And our old buddy Stuart Milligan from Jonathan Creek is playing mm. Richard Dixon. I have a very old radio play he did for the BBC where he was Superman. Yes. That's great fun. I'm sure it's going to be great. I've seen no bad reviews from the people who've been lucky enough to see these, so I'm sure it will be fabulous. And Doctor Who Confidential is on BBC Three at 7. There's actually a gap because the BBC Three doesn't start until 7 o'clock, but Doctor Who ends at 6.45, So, because uh, normally you just turn right over. So we'll see how many viewers they actually lose from people wanting to watch the... Uh, Dinosaur yeah. special on ITV. who's narrating it this year. Oh, yeah, good point. Because last year they had that fellow who had guest starred as uh, one of the, the fish people in Venice. <laughs> He's a funny guy. He yeah. was on the uh, commentary track for that episode. I finally finished watching season five, the, the box set. And I was kind of disappointed that not every episode had a commentary. Mm-hmm. They do what they call these in-vision ones where you actually see the people talking. It's very mesmerizing because you actually watch them talking rather than the episode. They're, they're inserted in the corner there. Yeah, he was, uh, what is his name? I want to say Alex Price. Yeah, Alex Price. Yes, okay. you're right. We got it. All right. Got it for one in one. And let's see. Ruth Jones, Easter Treat, is on BBC Two. Another edition of her sporadic chat show with guests John French, Michael Sheen, and Tim Minchin. Tim Minchin's coming to Seattle in Yes, July. he's told yeah. me that. Didn't get tickets, though, but Dan Savage has been posting his videos on on our local papers blog for years and he's heartbroken he said he won't be in town and then somebody else tipped it off that he will be actually what he's going to be is uh like the grand marshal in the gay pride parade in new york so he'll have a pretty good gig going too but dan savages yeah really that's what somebody said and he didn't confirm or deny it but that sounds about right because he's been invited to the white house with for his it's gets better project so well who's america's most famous homosexual I suppose Nathan Lane, maybe. Well, Constance McMillan was one of the Grand Marshals. They have more hmm. than one. She was one of them last year. Dan Savage is definitely getting a name for him. I mean, mm-hmm. he is local boy makes good. I mean, I remember reading The Stranger in 91 or 92, and it was just kind of a, one of those alternative magazines yeah, like The Rock. Yeah, he a waiter down at Septium when it was in Belltown, and he had a theater group, which was great fun. That and he was a drag very, queen. Yeah, he, he, he directed all sorts of plays. Very campy versions of classic plays. And he and appeared in The Rough Guide to Seattle I, that was shown in England when I was there. Oh. And I was like, oh, look, there's Dan Savage. And I think that's one of the last times he did his drag character because he retired it soon after that. I think he wanted to be taken seriously as a journalist. Yeah, well, that, that, that's what I've heard, that he will be. That's hmm. why he will have to miss Tim Minchin here, and he's heartbroken over it. But The bits I've seen of Tim Minchin I've liked. I, he seems like somebody that, that does really good work. Also, Saturday, extended editions of Russell Howard's Good News and Have I Got News for You are on BBC Three and BBC Two, respectively. Easter Sunday, Time Team continues on Channel Four. 
And Lewis continues on ITV1. David Tennant stars in United on BBC2 based on the true story of the 1958 Manchester United team's plane crash that killed eight players and how they rebuilt the shattered team. That should be really good. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Easter Monday, The Dales continues on ITV1. Patty Considine and Peter Capaldi star in The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher on ITV1, based on the book by Kate Summerscale. This period drama movie, set just as Scotland Yard has formed, is about an inspector sent to Wilshire to investigate a murder. So this would be the late 19th century, right? Mm, could well be. Yeah, that should be good. We always like Peter Capaldi. Uh, Darren Brown, at the same time, has a new yeah. special, Miracles for Sale, on Channel 4, about faith healing in America. Yep, he's written quite an essay about the subject on his blog that you can read and his feelings about the thing and, and shooting the special. Well, I'm sure the bottom line is going to be, those Americans sure are gullible. Could well be. Yeah, there's been some. There's a really good interview with him in, in one of the paper, in papers lately that was linked to in his blog. It's, it was interesting reading about how he really didn't want to be gay for a long time, and he <laughs> joined some Christian groups that were going to try oh, to cure dear. him and everything else before he finally just said, "Oh well, I guess this is it," <laughs> and accepted everything. Well, good for him. Yep. Meanwhile, BBC Two has an arena documentary about the life of Beatles producer George Martin. So all three of those shows are on at the same time on Monday, so choose wisely. Yeah. Actually, all three sound good. I'd probably watch them all. Yeah, George Martin, he was um, in the Radiophonic Workshop with BBC. Was he? Yeah, but, and then he, uh, because I saw a documentary about it a few years ago, and they were talking about all the people who'd worked there, and then they said about this this very early worker there named George Martin, but he had, he'd quit, and they just don't know what happened to him, and then you see a picture of him with surrounded by the Beatles. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yep. Tuesday, a history of Celtic Britain concludes on BBC Two. Campus continues on Channel Four, which will be watched by Ryan. And probably only Ryan. <laughs> In the United States on BBC America, Wednesday, reruns of the Tudors. Friday, Doctor Who, the ultimate guide. Saturday's launch of the sixth season begins with Doctor Who Rewind, followed by the U.S. debut of The Impossible Astronaut, mere hours after it's shown in Britain. Who could ask for anything more? And in the run-up to the royal wedding on the 29th, Sunday, Cat Daly presents Royally Mad and Monday, a two-part documentary, How to Be a Prince. And Tuesday, William and Kate, a fairy tale romance, is among the royal specials. On Showtime, Secret Diary of a Call Girl continues on Thursdays. Sunday on most PBS stations, Masterpiece has part three of the new Upstairs Downstairs, the conclusion. DVD releases, A Mind to Kill, Series 3, the Philip Maddock Welsh Detective Series from 1998. So our feature this week is on Carolyn Quentin. As her sitcom, Life of Riley, is in its third season, we thought we'd look at Quentin, who has been equally at home at comedies and dramas over her career. In the 1980s, as Carolyn Quentin was starting her career, she was in the chorus of the original cast of the musical Les Miserables. As a jobbing actress, she had bit parts in series and TV movies, including Casualty and sketch comedy shows. In 1990, she married Paul Merton, whom we profiled in show 53, and their marriage lasted until 1998. Do you know anything about their breakup? No, they've, they've both refused to talk about it. Hmm. She said once she had a little jealousy because they moved their mother in with them, and her mother was getting along far better with Paul than her. <laughs> so... <laughs> But I don't know if that was a joke or not, but um, even more recently, very recent interviews, she just talked about how it became tabloid fodder, which blew her mind because she didn't think she was tabloid material. And they had people going through her garbage to see if there were angry notes or 
re, you know, they were trying to get into the bottom of why this comedy couple was breaking up. And she was in a top ten series at the time, though. Yeah, and, well, she was said it was just a really sad, sad time in her life, and it was very upsetting. The tabloids are very vicious over there. Right? Yeah. So that same year, she was making appearances in a few Mr. Bean shorts. She had her big break being cast in the sitcom Men Behaving Badly in 1992 as Dorothy, the nurse girlfriend of Gary. And as we've talked about in our shows on Martin Clunes and Simon Nye, Men Behaving Badly got off to a slow start in its original incarnation on ITV, but then became a smash hit on the BBC throughout most of the 1990s. And here, Gary thinks Dorothy has been cheating on him. Another little present. Quarter of wine gums, your favourite. Oh, and I bought back those albums I borrowed. So, did you manage to arrange your books into alphabetical order? Hmm? Oh, no, I didn't get around to that in the end. Oh, you didn't get around to that? How disappointing. I've got some travel brochures. I thought we could have a little flick through and choose where to go. Oh, can we do it another time? I'm not really in the mood. You're not in the mood, okay. Mm. How about popping into my bedroom then for some nice sexual intercourse? <laughs> and do we have to? I've tried it. I'm not sure I like it. Fine. Whatever. Oh, listen, Gary, can we eat early tonight? Only I have to get home. Uh, Tim, this friend of mine at work, has recommended I watch this programme. Tim? Uh-huh. Yeah. What's he like in bed? Sorry? Nothing. Do you love me, Dorothy? Yes. What's your opinion of infidelity? What would you say if I was having a bit on the side? I'd say, ooh, what a shame. Now, there are two of us women that have to put up with your feet. Interesting. Is there a problem, Gary? No, no, no. And you're acting very strangely, even for you. Have you got your tight pants on? No. Oh, <laughs> oh God. This funny thing happened at work today. Tim was coming down oh, the corridor. Tim, 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 again. Well, you just call Tim up, we'll ask him over. Perhaps you'd like to jiggle around on Tim's todger while I bring you a selection of tasty snacks and dicks. Are you suggesting I'm sleeping with someone, Gary? Well, it's a bit bloody obvious, isn't it? You might as well employ a bloke to go around waggling a pair of knickers on a pole. I'm going home. So are you sleeping with someone? That's for you to find out, isn't it? <laughs> that was the plot of half the episodes, though, wasn't it? <laughs> One or the other, cheating or oogling at somebody else. I think she had expected Gary to do it, but Gary, being a blokey kind of guy, sort of the double standard. Oh, it's okay for me, but not for my girlfriend. Carolyn Quentin was not your typical sitcom vixen. That was Leslie Ash's character. She looked, as Chrissy is often fond of saying, like a real woman. I would say that about her. Yeah, I remember there's an episode early on of Jonathan Creek. Well, there's a couple episodes. There's one where she's lying on one of his gizmos that makes it look like a person's levitating. And he sort of, she sort of realizes that he's a little worried it's going to start to bend because she's a bit heavy. And she says, well, luckily I have good self-esteem as she hops off this thing before it bends. And then there was some, another episode where she was in a, a swimming suit that wasn't incredibly flattering, but you know, it's that's what she looks like in her body and the character would be in a swimming suit. And I was thinking, I was comparing and contrasting it with American actresses who just get tinier every year. Yeah, Carolyn Quentin's a real woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's got, she's got curves. Yep. During the 90s, Quentin used her time away from shooting Men Behaving Badly to appear in Hugh Laurie's All or Nothing at All, An Evening with Gary Lineker, and with her then-husband Paul Merton in Galton and Simpson's The Missing Page, a remake of a classic Tony Hancock show. In this scene, they are a married couple who are in a library. Oh! Hello. Oh, you frightened the life out of me. What are you doing here? Never mind what I'm doing here. You're supposed to be looking for a job. Oh, I've been down here. They haven't got anything. You're not still telling them you're a film director, are you? <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> You made a 15-minute experimental film on Dadaism at the Polytechnic when you were 17. That does not make you Martin Scorsese. It won an award at the Grimsby Film Festival. It won the Golden Haddock. Anyway, come to that, what are you doing here? Thought you were supposed to be at work. Lunch hour. Uh, I thought it was the busiest time at the car wash. What are you looking for, the cookery section? 
What's that supposed to mean? Nothing, no, nothing, no. If you think I'm going to spend the whole day hoovering out state cars and come home cooking for you, you've got another thing coming. That is your department whilst you're out of work. I've told Shh. you that. Who's he shushing? Is he shushing me? No, 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 no. Here, you after a Glasgow kiss, Becky? You've been causing a disturbance ever since you first came in here. I think you better get your books stamped up and leave. Yeah, look, Shorty. <laughs> Don't tell him what to do. That's my job. <laughs> it might not be much, but he's mine. Got the message. I don't know how tall Paul Merton is, but he's got a whole head over Carolyn Quentin, although she's quite striking in her leather jacket and tough demeanor. He's pretty tall. I've I've talked to him in a pub, and I was looking way up. Oh, okay. I would say he's probably 6'3", maybe. He's really tall. Oh, all right. So yeah. it's not so much that he's short, he's tall. But they put him looking right at each other in this library scene, and it's, mm-hmm. the contrast is quite funny. Yeah, they um, also did one of my favorite bits of radio theater ever, The Masterson's Inheritance. Oh, right. Which also had Josie Lawrence, Phelan McNerton, the great Jim Sweeney, Lee Simpson and and Paul and I'm think I have a horrible feeling I'm forgetting somebody but it was it was a wonderful improvised half hour comedy and they made three series of six and two christmas specials and I've got them all and it was one of the most consistently funny things I've ever listened to you can just listen to it for hours on a long trip and it'll keep you entertained Did she ever appear on whose line is it anyway? Oh many times. Oh okay so yeah. she's got good improv genes too mm-hmm. huh? Cool. Yeah, she was on it a lot. In 1995, she made an appearance on Nick Hancock's Room 101, which, of course, later was taken over by Paul Merton, which gave celebrities a chance to banish the things in their life that annoy them. Among Quentin's choices were large, unfashionable bras, TV weather forecasters, tease maids, rodents, home perms, and her time on Les Mis. Yeah, I saw that episode for the first time very recently, and I, I think Nick Hancock was actually going to bring out a little mouse or something at one point, and he had to wow. cease and desist because she was going to leave the show. She walked off the set, actually, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know if he was kidding or not, but yeah, she was really freaking out about that. Yeah, and I, I never see a tease made. It's kind of like a clock radio yeah. that makes tea. Right. I guess if you live in a bed set, it wouldn't really make any difference what room your tea's being made in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine brewing liquids in my bedroom, but... <laughs> I'm wondering if it's like one of the, you know, how you can set your coffee pot to Oh, yeah, I assume so. Yeah, that it would cup. start yeah. and then it would start brewing it. The strange things people have. In 1997, Carolyn Quentin first co-starred in the brilliant Jonathan Creek alongside acting newcomer Alan Davis. And we profiled him back in show 28, as well as the writer of the series, David Renwick, in show 49. Quentin played Maddie McGellan a writer who teams up with Illusion Creator Creek to solve impossible crimes. In this scene, Jonathan finds Maddie's car has been clamped and sees it as a challenge. Morning. You're useful to have around. This is illegal. I'm just curious to see how these are. Let's see what you're about. So how are things in the old investigative journalism department these days? Yeah, still learning a crust here and there. And Trevor? Trevor and I were getting on each other's nerves in the end, so I did the mature thing and set fire to his underpants. Listen, since we spoke, I've had a thought. How do you fancy a drive down to the coast today? Flush out the carbon monoxide with a bit of sea air? That's a tempting idea, and I'm going to have to put this back on once I've worked to have to unlock it. 42 seconds. Interesting. Yeah, I'm very impressed. It takes me that long sometimes with the key. Yeah, I can imagine. Where did you get hold of this? Sorry. Good journalist. I have to protect my sources. They're brilliant things. You can park anywhere in London. I'm going to pop it back in the boot for me and we'll be off. Of course, it's all a ploy by Maddie to get Jonathan involved in what he calls another grisly murder investigation. The banter between them brings to mind another series, Moonlighting, which also featured a character named Maddie. 
Moonlighting famously jumped the shark once the two characters slept together, and there was no going back. But in Jonathan Creek, the inevitable sex scene between Maddie and Jonathan is over and done with so quickly that the show was able to just smoothly move on afterwards. Quentin left after Jonathan Creek's third season in 2000, with Julia Sawala coming on board for some specials in the fourth season, and then Sheridan Smith in 2009 and 2010 specials. And of course, she's known in the Doctor Who world now for being a companion to Paul McGann on the audios. Sheridan Smith, that is. Yeah. Now, the part was written for Carolyn, but the part of Jonathan, who was written, I think, for Nicholas Lyndhurst, I've read somewhere, they had to suddenly replace their leading man and find someone else. So I really liked it. It was very unusual chemistry between the two because she was a little bit older. So it could have been big sister, little brother, but there was that little spark of attraction, although... Well, they did sleep together once. Yeah, and then they just decided... Just well, like... they, they had a lot of false starts. There was one episode where they almost were, and then he felt her pulse, because he'd been on this little mini fitness kick, being told that he needed to exercise more, and he'd already been taking her for jogs, and she would come back just absolutely drenched and fuming as he was just lightly panting from their little run. And so he, he felt her pulse and decided that her heartbeat was going too fast and insulted her. So that got that cut off that particular time when they were going to do something. And they had a lot of false starts here and there. Almost the last episode was the one where Lee Ingleby was trying to kill her and had a gun in her mouth and was marching her around. Because Carolyn, she has no qualms at all about appearing in very unattractive clothing and positions and, and this and that. She's She's game for a laugh or for whatever it takes to really bring home the the thrill of the moment or the drama of the moment. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed Jonathan Creek. The first minute I started watching it, when mm-hmm. the Sol Sol's uh, Dance Macabre started up, I'm like, oh, what's this? Mm-hmm. And I just got sucked into it immediately. Of course, it had Anthony Stewart Head right. in the first episodes, and I knew him from Buffy. And we had this vague awareness of who Alan Davis was because I'd seen him on uh, panel shows. Yeah, my mom and sister actually watched uh, Jonathan Creek before I did. They saw it oh. on, on Channel 9, um, our PBS station, one of them in Seattle. And then I showed them the um, Just for Laughs compilation that Jack D hosted that also had that very early appearance of Williams and Lucas singing the Elf song. And and they were going, oh, is that, isn't that Jonathan Creek? Because, oh, oh, it is, it is. So I actually came to the show later than they did for a change and... I quite I was repeated on PBS, and my mom recorded it for me because I think I was living somewhere with almost no reception and no cable at the time. And then it was really fun when I got the box set to realize that the Americans had cut out ten minutes of the oh, first yeah. couple seasons, and there were actually little subplots I'd missed. So, good show, great gal, Carolyn. She was I one of the guests when I went to see Clive Anderson All Talk, being taped in late '99. And she just had her first child, and she said that was her first time out of the house since she'd come home from the hospital. Both she and Martin Clunes had become parents at the same time, and they both called their children Emily. So oh, really? they were quite having a good time with that. <laughs> because Mar- um, Clive actually recorded each guest for about 45 minutes, and then they just cut it down to oh, 15 really? minutes each. Wow. So it was a full evening of, of hearing all sorts of things between her and Susan Sarandon was the other guest. Yeah, I watched so, the episode in preparing yeah. for this, and uh, I was trying to spot you in the audience. Yeah, well, I was there. It was it was great fun. Nicholas Lindhurst is Jonathan Creek. I just can't see it. Nicholas Lindhurst is kind of a weird guy. I mean, he started off in Butterflies playing the gawky teenager. Mm-hmm. And, and then he did some very odd sitcoms in the 80s. And then Goodnight Sweetheart was his thing where right. he tended to annoy his female co-stars. And then he did had that one that ran for quite a while called After You've Gone, oh, although it just I sort hated. of hung around. But now he's Freddie the Fence in these spin-off prequels to Only Fools and Horses, where mm-hmm. he turns out that he is Rodney's real dad, but nobody knows it because he had an affair with Rodney's mom. Oh. So he's a gangster, and he's not afraid to threaten people. And it seems like a much better part for him to do. He's charming, but you're supposed to be this kind of level of malevolence there. And I find Nicholas Linders much more believable doing that kind of thing than trying to be the light, charming, romantic lead. Yeah, I really liked 
Alan Davis's take on the character, too. And, of course, they auditioned him over and over and over again because he was so unproven. Well, for a flagship BBC show, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, he, you know, that he'd been on TV doing a stand-up, and he'd done pretty well, but he just wasn't known at all for doing acting. So that was just a real lucky thing on his part. But the, the thing about his character, Jonathan Creek, was even though he has this great brain and without Maggie there nudging him out of his little windmill house he wouldn't do anything he would just get more and more eccentric and probably more and more withdrawn so they were a great pair because she was the the impetus that got him going yeah i think that was they were the best pair oh yeah uh, much more than the other two gals that they've put up there with him well it was weird with julia sawala's character because she was married to Mm Adrian Edmonds. <laughs> yeah, so they're really this married couple. So you're Whose kind of... real wife plays her mother in another show. Yes, very odd. And they've only done the two with Sheridan Smith. But yeah, Maddie was definitely the best. And uh, I think they had a reference to her that she'd moved to the United States and married a cowboy or something. Yeah. They, like, I've always they... wondered why she didn't come back. Maybe she, you know, I know she took some time off when she had the little the little kid. Well, they don't, they're not really yeah. making Jonathan Creek anymore, but. No. In 1998, with Men Behaving Badly wrapping up, Carolyn Quentin starred in her own sitcom, Kiss Me Kate. She played a psychoanalyst who can't manage her personal life. What you're describing is a panic attack. I get sweaty palms and my heart starts pounding and then I can't swallow. Yeah, and you can control it. Can I? Yeah, with your breathing. Oh, right. Yeah, you see, what a lot of people don't realise is when they're having a panic attack, they're not breathing properly, they're hyperventilating. Are they? Yes. Am I? And so to counteract that, what you can do is to force yourself to take really long, deep breaths. Like, in, out. In, out. That's very good. In, because they're all connected. So if you slow your breathing down, your heart rate will drop. And if your heart rate drops, the sweaty palms will go away. And you'll find in no time at all, you're out, out, breathe out. Despite a cast that included Chris Langham, Amanda Holden, and Darren Boyd, and being co-written by Langham and John Morton, who did People Like Us in the current 2012, I never laughed once during Kiss Me Kate, and I couldn't wait for each episode to end. Morton's style is much more suited to deadpan documentary parodies rather than primetime BBC One sitcoms shot in front of a live audience. Kiss Me Kate was a real failure, in my opinion, but managed to hang on for three series. And we talked about, you know, old-fashioned sitcoms versus the sort of new wave. And Kiss Me mm-hmm. Kate definitely was very... Old school. Old school, whereas, you know, we, we both are big fans of people like us. And I really enjoyed 2012, especially because of Jessica Hines. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and now, a word from our sponsor. I don't know what your idea of heaven is, but I'll bet this isn't a million miles away. Well, come to think of it, it probably is. Anyway... This cool, creamy Philadelphia spread devilishly thick on hot toast certainly figures in my idea of heaven. Mm. Oh yes, this is Gabriel. He figures pretty large in my idea of heaven too. Be an angel and get me another slice, would you? You know, from that little man downstairs with a big toasting fork. Philadelphia, a little taste of heaven. Carolyn Quentin as an angel there in an ad for Philadelphia cream cheese in 1999. She did a lot of adverts. I remember her talking about on the Clive show, and I can't not remember if this made it to the broadcast or not, that she had an agent who stole about 300,000 pounds from her. And because of her voiceover work was how she'd really made the money more than acting. Well, and he said, well, how could that happen? And she says, well, because residuals come so much after you get do the job that, you know, it's six months later and you don't think about where's the money for that job I did six months ago because mm-hmm. you're doing something else. And that's how he was able to uh, embezzle her. Yeah. And she worked a lot more in those days. Now she, I was reading recently for her, the perfect life is one good project a year and then home to her husband and kids and their small holding because they're out in the country now. And she just loves playing with the kids and being with the animals. Well, she, so. she's been active. Mm-hmm. In 2001, Quentin starred in Hot Money, a TV movie for ITV. Based on a true story, it was about a group of women employees of the Bank of England who stole thousands of pounds over several months right underneath the bank's nose. 
Of course, class differences came into the equation as conspicuous consumption by the working class members of the gang nearly got them caught. Remarkably, there was never enough evidence to prosecute the women, although eventually they lost a civil case brought against them by the bank. Starting in 2003, Quentin jumped into the crime drama genre with Blue Murder, a police procedural in which she starred as DCI Janine Lewis, a single mother with four kids. And here she briefs her squad about a recent case. Meanwhile, back in the real world, Dwayne Kent, 19 years old, a hugely talented young man, up-and-coming footballer, everything to live for. Next Wayne Rooney pip has reckoned. Thank you for your insight, Detective Inspector, if only we'd had you with us last night. Uh, he were conducting his own investigations. Papers called him Golden Boy. Popular, never in any trouble. Regular eye of the rovers. Knifed over some chips. So nothing from forensics yet, but we do have a murder weapon, Lisa. Got two sets of prints. The first set from Lee Kent, who found the weapon, and no trace on Nafis for the second set. Any suggestions, please, on why Colin Kent, Dwayne's dad, should suggest that he might have been deliberately targeted? Uh, we were in bits about his son, just couldn't handle it with bad luck. Unless those three were waiting for it. Either way, we must talk to Colin Kent again. In the meantime, there's lots of people passing by. Who are they? What did they see? Somebody must be able to identify these men. Carolyn Quentin smoothly handled her transition as primarily a comedy actress in the 1990s to doing straight, serious parts in the noughties like Blue Murder. Although it's the kind of part that nearly anybody could do, Quentin solidly fills the bill as someone the audience is familiar with and can relate to. And Blue Murder would run on ITV for five seasons. In 2004, Carolyn Quentin starred in Von Trapped, part of an Umbrella series called Trapped that was on ITV featuring one-off comedy dramas. In Von Trapped, Quentin plays a hairdresser and diehard Sound of Music fan. If you could go anywhere in the world, money no object, where would you go? Salzburg. I've always wanted to go there. What's so special about that blessed film? It's magical. It's beautiful. And it's a true story. Oh, give over. You saw it that night. The night he stood you up. You went to that picture house and it made you feel better. And you've kept using it like an anaesthetic ever since. You never said goodbye, Connie. You never told me why. When he stood me up at that altar without so much to buy your leave, I thought, right, that's it, he's out of my life. But he's not, is he? Because every time I switch on the telly, there he is. And every time I look at Lee. With her short blonde hair and accent, Quentin was channeling Victoria Wood with her performance in Von Trapped. And eventually she achieves her dreams and travels to Austria to find her true love. Yeah, it's weird with her accent and everything. I mean, really, yeah. if I didn't know them really well, I'd be like, oh, Victoria Wood's in this. I'm like, no, that's Carolyn Quentin. Well, she had, of course, Julie Andrews' Sound of Music hairdo. Yes. The little, the little bob there. That same year, Quentin began starring in the ITV comedy drama Life Begins as Maggie Mee, a housewife whose husband, played by Alexander Armstrong, suddenly walks out of their marriage and Maggie must cope with their kids and earning a living. She ends up working at a travel agency, after first tricking them into hiring her in the first place, and slowly begins to make new friends and find her place in the world as an independent person. And Life Begins would run for three seasons. In 2009, Quentin played another mum in the BBC sitcom Life of Riley. She has just gotten remarried to Jim and combined their families. Yeah, I like that one. Remind me which one's which? Uh, rainy Mist, Misty Rain, White with a Hint of Rainy Mist, White with a Hint of... Misty Rain, yeah, yeah got it. Which one do you like, Katie? All of them. Danny? None of them. Ted? I like the old wallpaper underneath. Great, good one. I really think we're beginning to get somewhere. Ooh. What's happened to your face? Nothing. It's all shiny. You've washed it. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. You have. It's gone from storm grey to rose pink. That's amazing. Oh, I've girlfriend's coming over. So, are we finally going to get to meet her? No, you're not. Why not? Are you embarrassed by us? Definitely. I've met her. So have I. What's she like? I'm a lot better than any of your old girlfriends. <gasps> really? Tell me more. <laughs> Some of Dad's girlfriends have been so dodgy. No, they haven't. <laughs> yes, yeah, they, they have. have. There was the one with a squeaky voice. Melanie! 
she didn't have a squeaky voice. She did. She was like Orville on speed. But with the worst dress sense. And everything was always... Lovely! <laughs> and then there was Tina. Teeny, tiny Tina. Satan's leprechaun. <laughs> she wasn't a leprechaun. She was just fun-sized. <laughs> she was evil, though. No, she wasn't. She was, Dad. She didn't even blink. She just stared. It was freaky and she used to completely ignore us. No, no, no. Not as bad as that other one who wanted to be our friend and talk to us about everything the whole time. <laughs> Isn't that Maddie? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oops. This clearly is meant to tap into the same audience that enjoys my family. Alas, I feel the same way about Life of Riley, which I do about my family that it's one more cookie-cutter domestic sitcom which seems terribly out of place in the second decade of the 21st century. And as much as I like seeing Karen Lynn Quentin on screen, and make no mistake, she does a fine job, but I'm not buying what Life of Riley is trying to sell. I certainly welcome a response from listeners if you are a fan of the show. Maybe I'm missing something. But to me, an example of this format done right is outnumbered. Last year, Carolyn Quentin appeared in Simon Nye's adaptation of Just William as part of a nouveau riche couple with a spoiled daughter named Violet Elizabeth. And her husband was played by Warren Clark, whom we profiled in show 50. And although a children's program, I was quite charmed by Just William and its cast of familiar TV veterans. So yeah, she'd been working steadily. So you like to say she likes to do a project a year. Well, that's what she wants to do now, yep. They bring up a lot that her husband's younger than her, and he's the one who is the primary caretaker of the kids. But they also have a small farm, and he takes care of that, too. And, and she just said she thinks it's great that she's showing her children that you, you aren't stuck in one gender role just because the society says it's supposed to be done that way because it suits them both very well, what they do. But she has definitely tried to work less and less because she just doesn't want to miss her kids growing up. Well, audiences obviously can't get enough of her. I mean, she can do it all. I mean, you know, singing and dancing in Les Mis, uh, sitcom star, can do serious police dramas, you know. We got to get that guy, Gov. Yep. You know, she can do everything. And clearly the audience gives a lot of goodwill for all the parts that she's in. I mean, she always plays someone who's somewhat sympathetic. So we like Claire and Quentin. Well, next week, Paul Kay. All righty. Yeah, we t- we've talked about him every time he's popped up in something. Yeah. We'll just talk a little more specifically just about Paul. Yes. He was in uh, Being Human this year and Shameless this year. He's currently appearing in Candy Cabs. Uh, he's been in sitcoms and dramas. Someone that just fell into show business. So we'll talk all about that. And also I want to break my string here. of I've got like tons and tons of women that I want to profile. And I thought, well, we can't do like six women in a row. So we'll uh, break it up with a, one, one guy here, a token male. Meanwhile, we'd like you to go to our website, www.britishtvpodcast.com, and there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and a archive of our previous 79 shows. And if you have a comment or suggestion, you can email us at feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash podcast. I may have to pull up an old Tom Baker episode and watch it here this week because I'm really going to miss Elizabeth Sladen. <sighs> Bummer. Sorry to put a damper on that because we were getting all so excited about Dr. Who. I got up this morning and I was in a really good mood. I got a lot of sleep last night, despite mm-hmm. the fact that I got a virus on my computer this morning and I managed to fix it in an hour. But I thought, okay, you know, Dr. Who's going to be on here in four days. Mm-hmm. Everything's looking good. And then you kind of get news like this this afternoon and you're just like, mm. yeah. Oh, well. So we'll be back next week, Show 81. I think we'll have lots and lots of things to review because there's finally getting some good stuff on the television here. Lots of big stars, David Tennant, Peter Capaldi, Matt Smith. We'll have it all. So see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.